There's a lot of specs out there. And with the lifespan of 18 to 24 months, they need to find a target in uh, the relative near future. So 2022 is going to be the D-spec year. Welcome to Loyens and Doof Now. In this podcast series, we explore the legal and tax consequences of major trends and current events. What's happening? Why should I care? And how does it affect my business? With an abundance of capital in global markets and limited opportunities to invest in, 2021 has seen the rise of SPACs in Europe. A SPAC, or a Special Purpose Acquisition Company, is a vehicle that raises capital by means of an initial public offering, or IPO, with the intention to purchase a non-listed company in the relatively near term. This year, many of these SPACs will be looking to actually acquire a company with which they can de-SPAC. Hello, my name is Janet Anderson, and today I'll look at the 2022 de-SPAC trend and why companies could consider a business combination with a SPAC as an alternative to a traditional IPO or M&A transaction. Joining me from the Loyens and Louvre Capital Markets team are Menno Bax Council in Amsterdam, Michel van Acht Partner in Amsterdam, and Noemi Gimasi, Council in Luxembourg, who's joining us remotely. Let's have a listen to what all the fuss is about. Over the last two years, companies like Nikola, DraftKings, and Virgin Galactic have all entered the market through something called SPACs. Imagine someone famous asking you to invest in a company. Chances are you will want to know more. As it turns out, there is no company, at least not yet. Will you part with your money? That is the pitch by owners of SPACs, or Special Purpose Acquisition Companies, which is arguably the hottest asset class in the U.S. of late. I'm getting a lot of questions about SPACs this week. SPACs this year have raised triple the amount that they did in all of 2019. Now, Nomi, let's start with where we all began in 2021, where we had this big SPAC frenzy. What was going on then? Indeed, uh, SPACs were hot in the US already in 2020, and uh, we saw a lot of money going into those SPACs. By the end of 2020 and throughout 2021, we saw that SPACs were making their way into Europe. Although not an entirely new phenomenon, um, as we have seen SPACs in Europe already around 2007 before the financial crisis, it was always rather in an ad hoc manner. In the first half of 2021, SPACs were the main target of town in European capital markets. Based on our involvement in various SPACs and uh, discussions with other market participants, we believe that at one point over 50 SPACs were being structured throughout Europe. While most European SPACs have been incorporated in the Netherlands, an important part of them have chosen Luxembourg, uh, which gave Luxembourg the third place of incorporation of SPACs in 2021 in Europe. Euronext Amsterdam became the main listing venue for SPACs in Europe. That was closely followed by the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. In 2021, around 40 SPACs have been listed on European stock exchanges. Most of these SPACs are still looking for potential targets that want to use um, 
the SPAC to obtain a listing through a business combination transaction that is also known as a DSPAC transaction. Actually, some of the SPACs that IPO'd uh, in early 2021 have already announced a business combination, while others have already completed one in 2021. As the typical lifespan of a SPAC is uh, between 18 and 24 months, it is easy to predict that uh, 2022 will mark the year of a lot of these backing activity. This may be a very interesting opportunity to businesses that are looking into going public in one to two years from now. So many of these SPACs that have already been IPO'd, uh, they're looking to avoid being dismantled. They're searching for a target. What kind of companies are being targeted? Well, looking at the acquisition criteria which SPACs have formulated in their IPO prospectuses, the most popular target industries are obviously high tech, financial industries with a very important focus on fintech, and last but not least, healthcare. Companies in these industries could therefore be suitable targets for SPACs. Also, due to the increased focus on financial markets on ESG, to use another 2021 buzzword, the energy or energy transition are also popular hunting industries for SPACs. Uh, we have seen that our Luxembourg office um, assisted on the Gores Ardak mega deal that involved a global leader in the supply of sustainable and infinitely recyclable beverage cans. A strong growth potential of a potential target is one of the other key acquisition criteria for a SPAC. Therefore, the first type that springs to mind are companies that have reported year-on-year growth and are outgrowing their status as scale-up and whose management obviously is also eager to make the next step. A recent example thereof is Azarian, a gaming and advertising business that in December 2021 announced to go public through a business combination with EFIC1, one of the first packs that was listed on Euronext Amsterdam in 2021. Another category may be companies that for whatever reason are looking to hive off part of their business. That was the case, for example, uh, with the Ardak transaction. Those would be the typical situations in which companies are exploring the option of doing either a private M&A transaction or a traditional IPO to capitalize on part of their business opportunities. Now, with so many SPACs out there, going public via SPAC can truly be thrown into the mix. Menno, let me bring you in here. Um, let's say I'm the kind of person who either has a scale up or I'm working in a company that's thinking about separating from a bigger group. Um, tell me, what do I need to know about SPACs? Well, first of all, you need to be mindful that a SPAC is actually listed. Um, and that will mean that a substantial part of the process will actually become into the uh, public domain. If anything, because the SPAC will have to publish a lot of detail about the business combination in a shareholder circular when it's announced and seeks approval from shareholders for the business combination. 
once you have these backed, you, you need to realize that you will be a listed company. And that brings in a lot of ongoing obligations. So your organization needs to be ready and be up for the task for life as a listed company. Now, there are certain key things that you need to consider um, in respect of a DSPAC transaction, and those include who are the sponsors of the SPAC? Um, do they fit your profile? And do they have the uh, requisite industry knowledge? Um, that's not necessarily a legal point, but more a commercial point, maybe. But it's quite obvious, because if it's not a good fit, then... Yeah, is that really the type of person or the type of, of organization you want to be going into um, uh, into a transaction? And especially if you want to uh, leverage off the credentials of the sponsors in the, in the future, uh, you can imagine having one or two delegates from the sponsors in your management board to help and, and further expand and evolve your organization. Another crucial element is where is actually the SPAC incorporated and where is it listed? And we'll, we'll come to that later on, but those will be important elements in answering certain questions about how you can actually structure your DSPAC transaction. How the, the listing venue, for example, will impact the type of securities laws that will be applicable to your DSPAC transaction. For example, if the SPAC is listed in the EU on a regulated market, you will have to be very mindful of any um, prospectus requirements. Um, and also going forward, you'll have to bear in mind certain EU regulations around market abuse and transparency. One thing to mention in that context is that as part of your DSPAC transaction, you may want to consider either adding another listing venue or changing the listing venue, which will be, to, to a certain extent, be determined by where is your target business located, um, what is your home market? Um, but you have to be mindful that it's not always that easy to either add a listing venue or changing a listed venue. So um, that may impact your, your timetable and the, the deal structure. And how much flexibility is there in a SPAC with all the money it's raised with its war chest um, to place additional shares? That. That's a very good question. And actually, that, that very much depends on how the SPAC is structured, and especially at IPO. Um, to a large extent, it will be driven by the, um, the amount of money it still has available, which it has raised at the, at the IPO, um, and of course, the size of your business. Now, if you need, need to raise additional funds, and if the, especially if the SPAC itself needs to uh, raise additional funds, you uh, may have to issue new shares. Well, that, again, brings in security law considerations, especially if you want to add or issue more shares than, than 20% of what is already listed. You will quickly run into prospectus requirements, especially if you're in the EU. A common way of funding in these spec transactions is a so-called PIPE. It's a private investment in public equity. Uh, that also involves issuing new shares. Um, but depending on, on how you structure it, you may actually be able to um, stay away from a prospectus requirement, especially if you're actually issuing those pipe shares um, at target level. That may not always be possible. And, and to a very large extent, the type of structure will also be driven by, by tax considerations, which we'll 
uh, discuss in the in the next episode of this uh, podcast. So let's talk about structuring uh, the uh, DSPAC. Um, can you run through the different ways that we could structure one? Sure. Um, and as I mentioned, I mean, the tax considerations are, are important, but we're just foc- focusing on the, the corporate um, uh, abilities. And if we then roughly uh, distinguish between three types of common structures, first of all, a share-for-share exchange, we then have a legal merger, and then a triangular merger, uh, which is mainly uh, important for um, D-spec transactions with US specs or any alternatives uh, to such triangular merger. So let's take uh, each of those in turn. Uh, let's start with the share-for-share exchange. How does that work? Um, in the basis, this involves the, the SPAC purchasing all shares in the target in exchange for shares in the SPAC itself. And as I mentioned, those shares will have already been listed. So as long as the SPAC has a sufficient number of listed shares at its disposal, and that's typically uh, structured by way of uh, having treasury shares um, available, which have already been created at IPO and have then already been added to uh, listing and trading. If the SPAC needs to issue more than 20%, you will run into uh, prospectus requirements. And ideally, you want to avoid that um, because it comes with enhanced disclosure requirements, um, which uh, may be burdensome and have an impact on uh, on timing. So, Michelle, let me bring you in here uh, on the legal merger. I want to understand how we go about that. And it's your expertise, isn't it? Because you're a civil notary. Yeah, for such transaction, um, you would typically see that the target would merge uh, with an into the spec. Uh, So the spec would be the surviving entity. And as a result of the merger, all the assets and and liabilities of the target would transfer to the spec. And the former target shareholders will be allocated shares in the spec so that they become the public shareholders of the spec as well. This is a transaction with many procedural steps. But in essence, it's, it's quite straightforward and, and well known to the market. Um, and it can be done either in the Netherlands, at least, on a national basis. So a Dutch pack could merge with a uh, Dutch target company, but also on a cross-border level within the EU. And Naomi, can I bring you in on this? Is it the same in Luxembourg? Well, it's slightly different because in Luxembourg, um, contrary to the legislation of most other EU member states, uh, one of the advantages of the Luxembourg corporate legislation is that it permits not only national merger and mergers between Luxembourg companies and EU companies, as Michelle just mentioned, but also mergers between Luxembourg companies and non-EU companies. Also, Luxembourg corporate law allows for the share capital, for example, to be expressed um, in another currency uh, than euro, which is very handy uh, when you, for example, uh, want to de-spec a US pack via Luxembourg. And it also allows to have um, the legal documentation directly drawn up in English, uh, with the exception, of course, that certain documents for example, notarial deeds uh, must be followed by a French or a German translation. So although legal merger involves certain procedural steps, 
it is a generally accepted and a straightforward um, takeover structure. And therefore, it is fairly easy to implement. One of the key advantages of a legal merger from an EU securities laws perspective uh, would be that in the event of a merger of a SPAC and its target, parties should in principle be able to rely on an exemption under the EU prospectus regulation and thus would not have to prepare another approved prospectus, but merely um, a short form of disclosure document. Um, Michelle, back to you. Uh, We've got also the third form was a triangular merger, and that's uh, often with a United States SPAC. Is that as complicated as it sounds? Well, it's it's not your everyday transaction, that's right. Um, And indeed, this is a transaction that can be used for so-called US SPACs, uh, rather than the SPACs that we talked about that have a listing in Europe. Um, These are SPACs with a listing in New York. Um, and, and which typically have a legal form from either Cayman or Delaware. And when they target a European business combination, Cayman and Delaware may not be the most suitable jurisdictions to, to have the uh, eventual uh, listed company. Uh, so they would seek for alternatives. Um, and as the Netherlands applies the so-called incorporation theory, uh, it means that a company is a Dutch company by virtue of its incorporation as a Dutch company which means that this Dutch company can have its head office or also uh, uh, known as its place of effective management also outside the Netherlands. And, and we have seen some, some triangular mergers in last year where um, uh, companies were acquired by a US PAC, uh, did a DSPAC transaction uh, that were located in Germany and Spain, for instance. For the triangular merger, the target is then reorganized to have a Dutch parent company with its head office in either Germany, Spain, or the, the, the target's country. The US SPAC will then merge with a subsidiary of the Dutch parent company. And that subsidiary will be located in the same jurisdiction as the US SPAC, so either Cayman or Delaware. To settle the merger claim of the former SPAC shareholders, they will receive, through an exchange agent, new shares in a Dutch parent. And as a result of that transaction, The Dutch parent becomes the listed entity in New York and the SPAC will have become its wholly owned subsidiary of the Dutch parent. And both the former SPAC shareholders and the former target shareholders will all be a shareholder in the Dutch parent. Okay. Yes, it is complicated, but you've uh, laid out all of the parts there. I'm wondering, Naomi, is this also possible in Luxembourg? Well, from a Luxembourg perspective, a per se triangular merger uh, is not feasible. There exist, however, several alternative structures that can be used instead of a triangular merger to achieve despacking a US spec via Luxembourg when such US spec is acquiring a non-US target. The exact structure chosen for such transaction uh, will often be driven by non-Luxembourg tax and legal considerations. But generally speaking, any structure used will involve the incorporation of a Luxembourg holding company and one or several subsidiaries. Now, those subsidiaries um, can either be in Luxembourg or outside of Luxembourg. This will depend on the exact structure. Um, This would be then typically followed either by a series of mergers um, in a structure that is called double dummy structure, 
or uh, there would be a merger then um, that is followed by a share exchange. In both cases, the idea is that it leads to um, the target as absorbed by the US back becoming a subsidiary of the Luxembourg holding company. Okay, Menno, I think that we've run through the different structures well there, but um, I'm still wondering about companies considering a SPAC listing as an alternative to this traditional M&A and IPO transactions. What is the advantage to them of this de-SPAC transaction? If we take a traditional M&A transaction, for example, uh, a key advantage uh, for choosing for DSPAC is that it allows the current shareholders of the target business to maintain control whilst at the same time having a listing. <clears throat> and in particular, the, the list, having a listing is um, beneficial to the group, um, especially uh, in terms of gaining access for further financing, which should uh, allow for further growth uh, in the future. So if you take a traditional IPO, um, advantages of a DSPAC transaction that you often hear um, include, in the first place, more control over the timing of the transaction. In a traditional <coughs> IPO, you are, um, to a very large extent, dependent on market conditions. Um, and there are basically certain windows in a year which allows you to actually go public. In a DSPAC transaction, given it's effectively a private M&A transaction with a listed entity, um, parties will have uh, more control over the timing and will, to a lesser extent, be subject to the market conditions. Another advantage is the um, better ability to negotiate on the valuation of the business. Um, especially in a traditional IPO, you will need to seek outside investors on the basis of your, what they call, equity story. And uh, basically, outside investors, like the public, will, to a very large extent, scrutinize your equity story in a rather public setting. And again, subject to those timing constraints that I just mentioned. Now, in a DSPAC transaction, um, there is more room for almost private negotiation on the, um, the relevant drivers of your, your valuation. And that may be an advantage for, uh, for a DSPAC transaction. And we already mentioned timing, of course, but with timing comes costs. And so often you hear that a DSPAC transaction um, is perceived to be uh, less costly. Um, well, depend, that really depends on the structure of your DSPAC, whether that's actually true or not. Um, we already heard various ways in structuring a DSPAC. Um, for example, if you need to obtain additional financing, it, it may actually be more expensive to do a DSPAC transaction over a traditional IPO. So um, it's always, devil is in the detail. And lastly, uh, specs as uh, DSPAC transactions might be helpful uh, to adolescent companies, in particular in, in the tech sphere, where... The, the company or the group is actually still too small to do a traditional IPO, but is very keen on getting access to the, um, to the capital markets in order to expand and, and um, raise additional financing. So 
doing a D-spec transaction may then be almost the, the only alternative uh, available to obtain a listing. So, Menno, we've had a lot here about SPACs and the DSPAC trend, but if we had to ask listeners to take away one thing from this podcast, what would that be? As mentioned, there's a lot of SPACs out there. And with the lifespan of 18 to 24 months, they need to find a target in uh, the relative near future. So 2022 is going to be the DSPAC year. Therefore, we believe that doing a business combination with a SPAC can be a viable alternative to your traditional M&A or IPO transaction. So if you are looking for outside investors to further expand your business, doing a D-SPAC transaction can be a very helpful new tool in the box. Noemi, Michelle and Menno, thank you so much for joining me. And of course, thank you to you for listening to Loyans and Loof Now. Please subscribe to our channel to never miss out on an episode.